Make sure to subscribe to the Open Podcast today ahead of the 150th Open Championship at St. Andrews. You're listening to the Open Podcasts. Hi, I'm PJ Professional Peter Finch, and you may know me from my YouTube channel. One of my favourite series to film and produce is The Quest for the Open, where I attempt to qualify for the Open each year, striving to get my game in great shape, whilst learning a few things along the way which I can pass on to everybody watching at home. But while I compete in Open qualifying every year, one thing I want to show you guys is behind the scenes and the untold stories of Open qualifying. In this three-part series coming up on the Open podcast ahead of the 150th Open, that is exactly what I'll be doing. In a series of interviews featuring Open qualifiers, qualifying veterans, and even the people responsible for the operation of the whole shebang, I'm going to try and learn more about the tradition of qualifying and what it takes and means to qualify for the Open Championship. And alongside producer Chris Lewis, we will also be giving you all the information and storylines you need ahead of one of the biggest events in golfing history taking place this summer. I can't wait, and I hope you will join me on this, my open qualifying journey. On the tee from England, Sam Forgan. To have that ultimate feeling of kind of having that one putt which I needed to hold to make it. On the 17th. Oh! <laughs> one. I used to actually practice in the factory. So we used to make a ball out of sellotape. I used to have a five wood. And I'd hit the five wood from one end of the factory to the other and just get told off all the time for doing it. On team from England, John Singleton. Great applause for John Singleton, the local man. So welcome everyone to the podcast. I look forward to you coming on this journey with me over the next three episodes. Make sure you've subscribed to know when they come out. Now, I have had a number of attempts at open qualifying, some more successful than others. But this past year, I took part in the Open's Road to the Open series, available to watch on YouTube. Here's some of the audio of that journey. Morning. Right, so... Here at Westlands, this is where I'm going to be doing my open qualifying, both regional and hopefully, no, be more positive and final qualifying. I'm going to kind of get out here, treat it as a bit of a full on practice round. So, like, super duper serious focus on every shot. Pre shot routines, visualization. That's about it. <laughs> so I'm joined by Chris now for the first time, who will be joining me throughout this podcast. Thanks, Pete. How are you doing? How's everything? I am doing absolutely splendidly. Thank you. Nice. On a Monday morning. Yes, but it's a bright Monday morning. The clouds oh, yes. have not approached Manchester, and it is not looking too dreary, actually. Oh. The birds are singing. The leaves are in full early summer blue. What possible reason could I have not to be happy, Chris? That's the question. <laughs> well, I mean, that sounds perfect to me. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Chris, you were also on Road to the Open as one of the four featured players. How was that experience for you? Ro- Road to the Open was uh, was a fun experience, I think. the uh, Well, for me, I guess I'm not used to being in front of a camera. I suppose you are. Well, you certainly are. But I, I feel as if I don't know if I actually played better almost because of the camera. I don't know if you get that feeling. Does it sometimes go the other way? No, I think generally if a camera is there, it's always a... It's more of an ego boost than anything because it says, oh, you know, those cameras are there for you. Yeah. And that's quite a nice thing to have. The only problem is when you do, like, make a big cock up, the fact (laughs) that you think, oh, no, now everyone's going to see that. You know, that's, that's the only... That's the only yeah. issue to come over, but yeah, no, it's. Uh, I think overall, cameras being there probably would suggest you're doing a good thing or a very bad thing. But in this, sense, an exceptionally bad thing, yeah. In this, <laughs> in the in this sense, it's a good thing. Well, how many times have you played open qualifying? Um, in recent years, I think I've played the last five. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then prior to that, when I first turned pro as an assistant, I think I played in one, one at Trenton Park. Yeah, that was uh, that was good fun. Yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't get I didn't get through there either. I actually played all right apart from one hole. I think I had a, a treble on one hole, and then yeah. I could uh, I couldn't make it back, but I wasn't too far away. What's the closest you came to getting through RQ? Probably West Lanks a few years ago was a few off. Yeah, um, but in reality, I, I've never been coming down that last hole thinking, "Oh, I've got a chance here." Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 all I want. I just want to give myself that chance. My my performance has always been a bit meh, but this year I want it to be good. Nice. I want to I want to leave open qualifying thinking, you know what? I've actually had a good shot at that. Uh, that's it. I saw I'm bothered about. I mean, how was how was Road to the Open for you? I mean, obviously you do Quest for the Open every year, but was Road to the Open any different? There's just so many opens around Chris. So I was I was walking <laughs> through opens. In my daily life, uh, roads, was, quests, roads, quests. Like, <laughs> do I go a quest on this road? I just don't know. Um, it was good overall. Uh, I think, as far as that series, it's something which certainly me on my own really wouldn't have been able to put together. Like the way it was all structured, the way it was all shot was was really really cool. Um, so to be involved in that level of video was interesting it was slightly nerve-wracking but like i said overall i think it did go down really well with everybody and the fact that we had you know some people get through regional and we had sample can get all the way through to the open as well i mean that's a that's fantastic you know that is exactly what we would have wanted from that series you know the drama the failures and then the the big successes as well you know it's what it's what wove the rich tapestry of that story, Chris. That's, mm. that's what we're part of. Yeah. We are part of that rich, deep tapestry. Well, that's the nice way to put it. <laughs> I think so. Today, we'll have a full house of Rose of the Open participants, as well as me and Chris, as I'll be speaking to James Robinson later on. But first, here's a chat I had with a player who achieved something very, very special last year. And we are joined on the line by Sam Forgan. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Cheers. Thanks for having me. No worries. Uh, I hear through the grapevine, this being the open uh, podcast, that you may or may not have qualified for the open ones. <laughs> I did. I played for a couple of rounds anyway. A couple of rounds. Hey, listen, <laughs> that's that's a couple of rounds more than most <laughs> human beings listening to this. Or animals, for that matter. I'm yeah. pretty sure... You're in the minority. And it was only last year, wasn't it? It was Royal St. George's that you qualified for. Yeah. Uh, have you recovered mentally, emotionally from this experience? <laughs> yeah, I consider myself recovered now. I uh, it, I must admit, it did take it a bit more out of me at the time. It was a bit of a, it was an experience and, and one that you just kind of, everything comes at you a million miles an hour. And, and then it's not until a week or two after you start to sort of take stock and you realise how random the whole thing was really. Yeah, I mean, we, we both took part in the Road to the Open series last year, which, if listeners haven't seen that uh, series, is basically following a few people through open qualifying. Uh, Sam was actually someone who was worth following uh, through open qualifying. But with doing that series and actually getting through not only regional qualifying, but final qualifying, I mean, what were the what were the emotions like at that moment? Because I'm... I find it really hard to put myself in your shoes of actually holding that last putt, standing up, and then realizing, oh, that's nice. I'm in the open. <laughs> um, yeah, I must admit, it was such a weird, weird experience, especially because, like you said, the documentary team, and it felt like there was a big kind of build up to the event. And yeah, very, I mean, such a horribly cliche thing to say, isn't it? You know, stay in the present and all that jazz. But um, I mean, it's one of those I did kind of have you always have your eye on the leaderboard a little bit. Um, and then, you know, I made a, uh, you know, I don't know how deep we want to go into it, but I made a real kind of, uh, I made it hard on myself. I was kind of cruising at one stage, but, um, it did get a little bit hairy and, and to have, to have it on one part at the very end was, was a, was an interesting. So let's have a listen into some of your final holes at open qualifying last year from Princess. 
Going into round two, we had no, no, we had virtually no time between rounds. I mean, we had about 25 minutes. I didn't truly know where we stood. I just know it was really, really bunched. Um, so I started on 10, birdied 11, 12, 13, and 15. So I'm for all of a sudden, you know, dream start really for round two. Get to four under early. So on the ninth tee, I was um, a tee shot that I really struggled with. All, like all, well, both times before, I hadn't hit the fairway. I was in deep rough left, then deep rough right. Um, but it's kind of an optical illusion. You have to just commit to hitting it right. Like the clubhouse is almost a line, uh, and I must have hit a little bit of a sort of necky healer out there, which I knew was going to be safe. But I knew I was going to have a long in, uh, long, long shot in. To be honest, because obviously it was uns it, when I pulled it missed, and left of the green, I you know I was unsighted, so I didn't know where it was. I, I felt if it was a round pin high, it wasn't going to be any you know it was going to be a fairly easy up and down, um, or probably easier than what I made it look. I got the I got the weight right, which is the easiest bit. But I, I just got the line totally wrong. Um, but left is is way better than right. I was never going to hit it right on that green. When you enter Open qualifying, you obviously think about the end goal, which is qualifying for the Open. I suppose ideally you'd, you'd be playing so solid to where you wouldn't have to hold a putt like that. So I suppose in my, in my, your, dream, your dreams are always like better than the reality, aren't they? So I suppose in my dreams I'd have shot like 267s and I'd have just enjoyed the walk, but no such luck this time. I, mean, I, I suppose that is the mindset of a mindset of a really good player, isn't it? You know, not actually thinking about the end result until you've reached it, until you've actually finally got there. It's very, it's very easy to say, not so easy to do, especially as you mentioned when cameras are following you around, documenting that progress. When I actually got to play, it actually almost just sort of felt like almost it was a release. Like it was the thing I felt most comfortable doing. Obviously, you know, um, not like yourself. I don't do much sort of work in front of the camera or, or anything like that and it was the, that whole side of things was a little bit alien to me um, and then when I actually got to go and play on the golf course they, they were miles away with the cameras and that kind of thing and it was it, it was my kind of comfort zone really um, and, and I've been playing fairly well at the time so I just kind of kept that mindset I was just going to keep going and and, and, and and until I didn't really think about making it till I actually made it hindsight when you look back on it to have that ultimate feeling of kind of having that one putt which I needed to hold to make it. Uh, that was to have that feeling. I don't think I'd have swapped for a, a five shot win, if I'm honest. Oh, really? I mean, no, it's, it's something, like, to, well, something to look back on, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's probably, I mean, it's probably aged me about five years, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's one, it's that one feeling that I, when I look back on the whole thing, um, that one putt to make it was the, the kind of pinnacle of the whole thing, and it's kind of where I put it put it on the top even when you look back on you know some of the film of being at the open and that kind of stuff I, I always think back to that one part and then obviously big hug with my brother Jack who was on the bag and and then the whole documentary team I knew I knew a couple of those guys from 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 my home club as well and I was it was madness it was brilliant how many times did you try to get through qualifying before oh loads um I think I started when I was about maybe 18 um so I'm 31 now so um, I maybe missed one or two years through like schedule conflict or something, but I imagine I've done it at least maybe ten times, probably probably close to that. Wow. Crikey! So uh, you you got through to final mm. qualifying before, mm. haven't you? I've played finals probably. Uh, I don't know. I think Chris Chris is going to probably fact check all this, but I think I I think maybe five or six times maybe. And um, I play even when it back to we're back to when it was you know like the old school kind of local qualifying. Um, I played with, I remember playing with Peter Uline. I was in college still at the time, and he was like the, like the big dog. Like he just turned yeah, pro, yeah. and um, he was like one of the top college players. And and like he turned pro, and he'd been doing fairly well when he turned pro. And I played with him at, uh, Southport and Ainsdale, and um, yeah, I, I was just watching him basically for for thirty six <laughs> holes. I, I didn't really, uh, I was kind of a bit overawed by it, but it was. Like you said, I think those kind of things when when you look back, like qualifying and having those 
those experience kind of it's part of the process really I guess of of making myself feel a little bit more comfortable when I was in that situation where I could actually qualify. On the tee from England, Sam Forgan. That's a nice story, Sam Forgan. You know, kind of uh, an outside-ranked Euro Pro Tour player. He actually was followed by the Open in a series called The Road to the Open. And on the YouTube series. Three over par, opening round for Forgan. Mm. I, I can't believe you're saying you felt more comfortable actually teeing it up in the open once you actually got there. Um, well, I, would, I wouldn't go that far. I think that was. I think I was trying to. I think <laughs> once once you we didn't really do much film filming at the open at all. To be honest, it was mm. it was one of those where. Um, all the other sound bites and stuff that they got for the Road to the Open really was was kind of, you know, interviews that I were doing, you know, with, with other people. And then it was, you know, a lot of the stuff that they used was just me on the course, really. There wasn't much, uh, there wasn't much. I think they were, I think they were really, I think the guys at the RNA were very aware that it was like a big opportunity for me. And they, they kind of just left me alone, really, which was quite nice. Who did you actually play with during the Open? Who were your competitors? Uh, played so I played with uh, played with Harrington, uh, Patrick Harrington, and I played with Brad Kennedy. But he's keeping some pretty good company this week, no doubt. Just absolutely relishing the company of Harrington, seeing what he can learn from Kennedy as well. So they definitely uh, they definitely sorted me a good draw. Um, top guy played with Harrington in his Ryder Cup year. That was a uh, um, yeah. That was say that's another thing you just uh, you know I'll always have to say. Yeah, multiple open winner. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Oh, he's, and it was one of those when I played with him, obviously, because I'm, you know, for lack of a better word, absolutely bricking it in, in the open. And, and he's, I'm playing with him. And it was, you know, I only, I, I got chatting to him a little bit. But, you know, if you asked him a couple of questions, he'd give you some like proper, proper answer. He wasn't, you know, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't give you a short one. It was like proper great answers. And you kind of wish, oh, if I played a practice round with him, I could be grilling him. But, it was the open and I was like so uncomfortable, I'll be honest. It, it, it was one of those where you just like trying so hard to, to get some sort of game together um, that I was not really focusing on the Harrington's kind of past and his stories he had to offer me, which had been great to have, to have had. A little bit of a low and it was disappointing not to play how I would like to have played, but um, like you say, it was, uh, it, was, <laughs> it was all the experience. I beat, beat Phil Mickelson as, as I think about 900 of the thousand members at my golf course have mentioned. <laughs> That's the one. I mean, that you don't actually have to say anything else about your open experience. Just that. I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Playing the uh, 2021 uh, Open at uh, Royal St. George's. Beat Phil Mickelson. <laughs> and then as soon, as soon as people turn around to you and say, oh, is that the one he won? You can be like, the weather's nice today, isn't it? It's <laughs> maybe. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I, can't, I can't, yeah. quite remember. I can't quite remember. I can't remember. I can't quite remember. Yeah, now, yeah. I can't quite remember. <laughs> I, mean, what was, um, I always do wonder this, actually, you know, having never got to the Open, but course-wise, compared to your regionally final qualifying, is the course that much harder? Is it just more of the, the atmosphere? Is it just more of the actual kind of surroundings that make it? Mm, I would say, um, you know, obviously I can't speak for all of them. I, mean, I only can speak from my experiences at, at St. George's, but... Um, it's just a rough. The rough was so so deep, um, and it was it was one of those. I mean, you could get fairly lucky, and it was one of the things that I noticed was how good the like top guys were from the rough. It sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, but like deep rough. A couple of times, like Harrington was in the deep deep rough, like about hundred and seventy odd yards away. You're thinking, right, he's just going to chop this like fifty yards, and he somehow just kind of get one to the front fringe and then he get up and down and he make par and it was like it was because it was just a weird a weird thing but I mean and I could I'm, I'm just speaking I can't tell what his lies were like or anything like that but um just how they could play and even like the chip shots around like the deep rough and that kind of stuff like the, it, they were so much better than me at that which was weird to say but um and sorry going back to your original question I think um this year, the rough at Prince's was pretty deep um, and there was no spotters allowed. 
So I think that's why the scores at final were so so high, really, basically break par almost and you're in. Because you hit it in the rough with no spotters, three minutes, there's three guys looking for it, you're going to lose a lot of golf balls. Whereas obviously at the Open, minus the one spot I had on 15, they're like, you can hit it anywhere on that golf course. Yeah, and it's yeah. going to be like, yeah, yeah, we've got it, it's right here. And I was like, there's a few times where I was like, maybe I should hit provisional here. And uh, literally Harrington's like 30 yards up the fairway anyway, so I guess I won't. <laughs> but uh, it was uh, literally, it's so weird. I mean, obviously, you know, you're playing in, in smaller tours and stuff. Like having people find your ball literally anywhere was uh, was definitely a luxury that I could get used to. Yeah, it's a nice novelty, isn't it? I, yeah. I think that's one of, it's one of my enduring, actually memories of the Road to the Open series last year was seeing pictures of your final qualifying. For for anyone who doesn't know, Prince's Golf Club is pretty much next door to Royal St. George's. So like to have you playing some shots and the photos I saw of you playing shots to get in the open and then over your shoulder, like the grandstands at Royal St. George's. Like I thought that was absolutely brilliant. I mean, I don't have the mental discipline, and I don't know what you were like, to literally throughout your entire round i don't know how you just weren't looking over there and being like oh just imagine just imagine just imagine just imagine." <laughs> yeah i know what you mean it was you know and, and there i mean there is one one or two holes that literally borders the grounds from st george's it's like uh i must admit we we did look i mean you drive past it on the way out especially uh you know the it was different this year so regional qualifying because of the covid year was regional was at the same venue that you were doing your final so we had you know a good score a good score at regional and obviously we were literally driving past St George's on the way out and we're like oh we've got you know we got a chance that we could be here kind of thing and it's uh, you know and then you know you've got guys putting up the grandstands and roping things off and you know greenkeepers doing work and all that kind of stuff so it does it was a bit of a tease um but at the same time like I suppose, you know, I just kind of tried so, so hard just to not think about it and just play. But we had, oh, we had a bit of a look. The discipline there. involved, absolutely unreal. And um, <laughs> how's uh, how's the wife and the young family now? Wasn't uh, she, uh, she pretty heavily pregnant when you were doing your qualifying, weren't she? Yeah, so she was, um, she'd have been seven and a half months pregnant pretty much when we were at the Open. Um, and she, she walked, so she walked virtually all of it she she got she sat out for about six or seven holes at the end um but yeah no so she was very heavily pregnant at the time which um and yeah when we had our we had our son tom on the 4th of september and he's doing well he's uh he says he looks everyone says he looks like me so unfortunately he's in for a he's in for a big nose and a, a big forehead <laughs> i think <laughs> so what are we thinking this year are we going back in for open qualifying or are you just gonna sit there and you seti watching it and thinking, I've been there. I don't need to do this again. <laughs> no, no, we'll go back. You gotta go gotta go back. Especially like you say, with with making it last time, you actually get straight through to finals, which is like you say, it's a bit of a bit oh. of a, you still have to shoot good you should have to you shoot see, good. You're, good. you're halfway there. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we'll give it a go again. Was it twenty eighth of June, I think, something like that, and we'll uh, definitely mate, we'll give it a go. Where are finals at this year for you? Uh, hopefully Prince's. Prince's again. Have Prince's my first choice, so fingers crossed the RNA sorts me out. Straight through to final qualifying at your own course. <laughs> well, practically your own course. <laughs> well, yeah. What about yourself, mate? What's your what are your plans? Yeah, I, I mean, I unfortunately do have to go through uh, regionals. As I've never got through regionals, I think that's probably fair. <laughs> Sam, I just want to say a huge, huge thank you, mate. Uh, good luck in final qualifying again this year. And hopefully, hopefully, we'll see you at the Open in St Andrews. Brilliant. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for having me. Subscribe to the Open's official YouTube channel to enjoy the best video content from golf's original championship, including official films, dating back to 1970, full final rounds from past Opens, a range of compilations showcasing memorable moments, highlights from the 149th Open, and much more. Subscribe today to make sure you don't miss a thing. Well, that was uh, pretty cool, actually, to speak to Sam there. It's just nice when somebody fulfills a dream. Yeah. I mean, that's just amazing. You know, those are experiences that he's... Never ever gonna forget. That's so cool. It's so true. Yeah, 
it's it's an interesting way to put it because watching Sam's Road to the Open, you are literally watching someone fulfill a dream. Yeah, it's quite yeah, it's it's almost a rare thing, really. I guess it's striking lightning in a bottle when you or catching lightning in a bottle when you can pick somebody to come through our queue to get to the Open, even a player of Sam's caliber. Even if you if you just take someone in our queue, there's only twelve spots among two hundred eighty eight you know, entrance into FQ. Mm, exactly. Like, that's not even counting all the people in RQ of, on all the different venues and all the different events. It is amazing because, I mean, the road to the Open does show a side of this qualifying process that literally, like, nobody sees. Obviously, there's there's no TV cameras there. You know, this is very much just a decent standard of pros, but pros who generally will not play on the tour having a chance yeah. to get through to the biggest event in the world. And it's just nice that you know, it's been shown a little bit more. There's some great, great stories in there. Absolutely. And, um, well, after I finished my round last year, went back onto the live blog, and it's so much fun to do the live blog for regional qualifying and final qualifying because doing the live blog and then following players' scores, when you see somebody who is on that leaderboard, a name you recognise, that's such a thriller of the whole qualifying process is to be able to to see people you know, to see to see people you've heard of, to to follow people that you maybe don't know, but now you're really interested in their story from either following the blog or or finding them on the leaderboard. And yeah, it's 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 a great thing to to really get your teeth into, and and I really enjoy that part about qualifying. And now on to our next guest, who is also no stranger to open qualifying and who took part in the Road to the Open series. We are about to chat to James Robinson. So, James, welcome down to the Open Qualifying Podcast. How are you? Are you well? I'm great, thank you. Yes. Yeah, it's a bit hectic life at the moment, but all well. Yes, I'm speaking to you in your car. I believe that you had to do an emergency rush to Aldi. (laughs) Yes, just a little. <laughs> other other supermarkets are available. Uh, so having having the house redone, your car was involved in a crash which you weren't in. Just had a new kid. Life's busy, mate. Yeah, yeah. Got a couple of bedrooms. Well, I've got a bedroom and two bathrooms being done for the new arrival because I've just had a, a daughter 14 days ago. So Amazing. Yeah, the house has been turned upside down, so... The workmen are in the house, so I'm sat on the driveway in, the, in, in my wife's car, because like you just said, the uh, my car was crashed into yesterday, and I'm uh, carless at the moment. <laughs> well, hopefully this podcast and chatting to the millions listening will be a calming influence on your day. Definitely. That is... Um, hopefully. That is, that is the hope. And to talk about happy memories and to put you in a happy place, let's go back. 2018, James. Yep. Going for open qualifying at Carnoustie. And just to give a little bit of background about you and your golfing uh, career. So you, very, very good um, amateur, got yourselves onto the European Tour. When when was your year on the European Tour? European Tour was 2000, 2016. 2016. And yeah. was that your only year on tour? Did you come off like pretty much the year after that? Yeah. Yeah, I came back off onto Challenge Tour. Um, they actually do a, a safety net um, category now, so you can't actually do that. You can't fall off as far as I did. They have a, a new category in place now to, to stop that happening. <laughs> but um, basically, I played, well, you call it a full season. I think I played 19 events, 18 events, so it wasn't really a full season, but... Um, yeah, I was on European Tour 2016 and uh, one of the best years of my life, really. It was uh, pretty epic. Yeah, no, it's interesting just to, to get a little bit of background because after that, after that year and, you know, dropping down to the challenge uh, before the instigation of what the DP World Tour now called the uh, James Robinson Net, uh, <laughs> you, then, you then completely came off tour and you started coaching, right? Yeah, so 2017, I stopped playing golf um, halfway through the year, just decided I want different things in my life, I want a bit more stability, kind of 
getting your card, losing your card, getting your card, losing your card was kind of just enough really and I just said enough's enough, golf's making me a bit miserable to be honest because of life situations and I just said I don't want to don't want to play anymore so I instantly pulled out of Q school, lots of other tournaments and just said I'm going to do my PGA, I want to teach for a living um, and well for what, what are we now, 2017, five years later done my PGA, completed that and uh, from the moment I kind of said I'm going to do my PGA, I'm not going to play anymore I literally put the clubs under the stairs and didn't even look at them for, well, nine, ten months until I did open qualifying. That is, is crazy to think about. I think certainly when I've um, been out working on tour, not obviously playing, but like seeing what a lot of the guys go through, you know, it's not, it isn't all the, the glamour and the glory that a lot of people think, especially when you are, you know, trying to retain that card, scrapping that card. It can it can get very, very stressful. Um, and Of course it can, yeah. What have you found, actually? Are there any regrets since you've taken a step away? Or I always think, like, I wish I could still have a, another pop at it kind of thing. And a lot of clients and people that see me play golf now just say, oh, go and have another go. But they don't realise what's involved and how many years it'll take to get back there, how many hours of sacrifice kind of thing, I call it, like family and kids... It, it, it's mind-blowing like how much hard work has to be put in to get back there and regrets not really like I'm I'm happy in life now I've since I've stopped playing I kind of bought a house got married had two children completed my PGA like I've done a lot in life that I wanted to to kind of I call it growing up like it's European tour and challenge tour the kind of single man man's life when you're struggling because it's like you've got to play in everything you don't have massive income so you, you it's hard to own a house own a car like things like that your your bank balance is so up and down it's it's not it's, well it's, it's not healthy <laughs> an awful life for james robinson the last place in the world you want Bunker can. He tried. He tried his very best. No, no, it's it, it's just a really interesting um, kind of path that you were taking until Open Qualifying 2018. Because, like you said, all the all the hours of sacrifice, all the hours of work that you put into your game, they you know they don't go away. They're still. Within, no. your, within your system but like I said to put your clubs away for that long and was it was it almost literally you got the clubs out under the stairs to to go over qualifying yeah yeah it was literally that because I didn't play any golf leading up to it I was teaching at the time so the golf balls I hit were just to demonstrate how to stop coming over the top and slicing it basically that's the main thing you need to know when you uh, when you're a golf coach so <laughs> it was mainly just trying to show people how to hit a bit more of a drawy shot <laughs> so I did hit some shots in golf lessons but not like I used to I mean blood sweat and tears for eight hours a day grafting compared to 10 golf balls a month kind of thing it, it was very very different <laughs> yeah I mean I always find to be honest when I when I do demonstration shots during lessons I always find they're the best ones anyway yeah I'm not entirely sure I've ever hit a bad demonstration shot it's, it's because you focus yeah I'm slowly beginning to think that talking through a shot for four minutes and then hitting it is actually the future of uh, my competitive golf so <laughs> when you decide to open uh, enter open qualifying with your new uh, rope hook that you've been teaching in all your lessons what was the uh, what, what was that what was the process what was the instigate was it just a fancy giving it a go or um, I was sat at my mum and dad's house and my dad is awfully upset that I give up on playing for a living to be honest he's, he's never really kind of got over it I don't think he's always just thought you're too good not to be top 100 in the world forever kind of thing um, but that's what parents do I suppose and I sat there and he's like, you are going to try again, aren't you? I was like, 
don't think so. I, <laughs> not, I don't even think I'm going to enter. And he was like, you should, you should. And I was like, go on then, I'll, I'll do it, kind of for you. And it was at Fairhaven and St. Anne's Old Links the year I did it. So I entered Fairhaven. Luckily, got my first choice because I live a mile a mile or two away from Fairhaven. And I've always liked the course. And I turned up, I played practice round, and I hadn't played for, well, for it was about nine months. I hadn't touched a club. And, well, I had touched a club, that's a lie, in lessons showing people how to hit <laughs> the rope hook, but <laughs> hadn't played on a golf course for a long time. And I played practice round. I played pretty bad, to be honest. Didn't play great. Hit driver, awful. And went on the practice ground after the round just to try and get something out of it and just say, like, come on, let's try and get a few old feelings going for tomorrow. I don't want to... I was honestly, hand on heart, try my best not to shoot over 80 because I was that like kind of underprepared I felt awful and I teed off on the first round after just doing 30 balls after the practice round I kind of got found something from the olden days and teed off first round and well it was only one round at Fairhaven hit driver 50 yards right off the first hole and I just said to my dad don't let me hit that again that's exactly what I was doing with it yesterday. And um, we found the ball, hacked it out, made a par, didn't hit driver again for the rest of the round and um, battered it round with three iron and finished tied first. Wow. Unreal. Absolutely <laughs> unreal. I mean, Fair Raven is a... Every time I play it, I always think it's a, it's a scorable course, like if you are driving yep. it well. If, if anybody does have the pleasure of going to play Fairhaven you will soon discover that there are approximately 74,000 fairway bunkers on that golf course so if you are driving it well you can navigate between them and score well but to pat it around just with a three iron yeah and get tied first that's very good golf yeah well I just I, I've just leaned on a shot from just got it out of the top draw from in the old days just hit a low stingy three iron Links player and just managed to. I mean, it was so baked; it was still going three hundred yards off the tee. Of course, yeah. Two so, thousand eighteen, the eternal summer, wasn't it? Yeah, it was bonkers, and it was pitching at like two ten, two twenty, and running out to three hundred. So it, it still worked. <laughs> Crazy, can't remember that year. And then obviously managed to get through there, and then going to St Anne's Old Links, of course, that you know really well as well. Yep. Was there any expectation at all, or or were you? almost freed up a little bit by having that time away. St. Anne's Old Lynx has always been one of those courses that kind of feels a bit like home. It's always like, I've kind of known or always known how to play it, where you can make your score and almost like navigate myself around the golf course pretty well. Going into it, I had a few days to, to prep, obviously, beforehand. So I did have a practice round or two and... I started to hit it a bit better and I got my driver going a bit better because I didn't play that bad at Fairhaven, to be honest. I just didn't know what where driver was going, so I was so underprepared. Um, I just kind of used a bit of the time leading up to the um, to final stage just to try and get driver in play and I managed to develop a nice little ropey draw. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, ball control was excellent. Kind of just got the putter going. Had a little bit of luck now and again. And uh, had two cracking rounds, really. But no expectations whatsoever. Like, I almost went into St. Anne's Old Links again, thinking, oh, I don't want to finish last, or I don't want to shoot 80 and, like, ruin my reputation <laughs> kind of thing. I just kind of thought, I just want to... Because all these clients of mine are saying, oh, do you think you can win it? And I'm like, no, 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 no but I haven't no. played for so long. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a great experience. That's amazing. I, you know, the the whole, like I said, it, it flies in the face of of so many things, you know, you know, talking about all the, the preparation, in your case, the lack of, you know, the expectations in your case, the lack of, and really what sounds like it, lack of 
not exactly lack of confidence, but lack of the belief that you know anything was going to come out of it. So to go from that to then walking off that eighteenth, what what was the feeling? Was it excitement, disbelief, like confusion? What off off the eighteenth? Well, I would say like because it was like I'd always thought of it as like my career's kind of overplaying. It was like just the cherry on the top of the cake to me, just getting into a major and actually saying I've played a major, like, wow, still my golf career's over. Even people were like, oh, you've got in the open, are you going to go and play again? I was just like, nope, I no, don't want to do it. Um, just even playing in the open, didn't I didn't want to go back and do it all again. It was... Um, experience getting in it but um walking off that 18th hole it was almost like kind of all like leading up to it forget the last nine months of not playing golf think of the last 12 years of hard work every day kind of thing like it all felt worth it mm. just through getting in the open oh that's amazing even though i was massively underprepared but it i would say for me over the years i've always been good enough it's just mental side of the game, believing in yourself. Like you're just so up and down in golf. I mean, you know, it's if you if you believe and you have less ball control, you'll do better with someone with loads of ball control and no belief. You just you always you always will do that. So for me, seventy percent of it was mental. Amazing, that's incredible. And what was it like when you actually got up to Carnoustie? Because I. As soon as you said the, um, as soon as you reminded me about that summer 2018, so I, I remember seeing you, I remember seeing you up at Carnegie, and that course was silver, like it had gone, oh. it had gone past burnt out, and it was yeah. silver. It was unbelievable. It was, it was just a dust cloud, wasn't it? Oh, that, yeah. I was, it, when the ball was bouncing, it was just dust coming up. It was so burnt. Yeah. What a privilege to play in the oldest, the original major championship. But a place like Carnoustie as well. Test yourself against one of the toughest courses in the world against the best players in the world. And experience-wise experience from that, I mean, what are the, what are the favourite memories you could take away from Carnoustie? I, I remember just walking in and you had to have your picture taken when you got there for, like, arms crossed and like smile into the camera, then serious face to the camera, just in case you were in contention and they had to use your mugshot. And um, when I was having it done, I remember just looking over towards the door and Tiger was stood there and thinking, oh my God, like, Tiger's the next man into this room. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, just seeing him in the flesh, like walking right past him, I thought, wow. Serious, this isn't it? <laughs> did you say hello? Did you did you did you say? I don't. Even, did you lose your ball? I, I didn't even say hello, to be honest. I think he he was just well. He had an entourage with him, and I don't even think he well. He, he certainly wouldn't have noticed me. Uh, <laughs> I I think I'd have tried to say hello, and it'd have come out like I was like treading on a mouse, probably. So yeah, or probably would have spat on him or something. <laughs> Ruin the moment. <laughs> uh, just think though, he'd be he'd be telling everybody about the open at Carnoustie when he came back and uh, fellow competitor sprayed him uh, <laughs> after trying to after trying to say hello. But the, the the practice rounds are probably the most memorable bit, like because I thought this I might only ever be here once. It's kind of thing when the names went down on the um, the digital computer. Uh, where you put your names down for the uh, tea times for the practice round. I, I was very selective with who I played with. So played with um, Sergio Garcia, Rafa Cabrera Bayo, uh, Danny Willett, um, who I knew already from Amateur Days, uh, Jorge Campillo, played with Ian Poulter. So I was kind of selective with who I put my name down with and uh, the practice rounds are probably the best bit to be honest just seeing the guys in a nice relaxed mode preparing for it yeah I mean the the practice rounds up at the open are are great because you do get that sense of 
kind of relaxation. You know, there is a little bit more interaction with the with the crowd and everything else as well. So, oh, that's awesome. Obviously, uh, played those first three, first two rounds. Didn't make the cut. Yeah. Is there any inkling, any feeling that you're going to be going back in it again this year, or? I've, I've entered it this year at Fairhaven again, so I will oh, always... For God's sake, I've put, I've put my name down at Fairhaven. Couldn't you go oh, to, yeah. like, Coldy or something? Well, the secret is just practice Stinger three irons. Yeah, I'm not... I'm, <laughs> my driver's staying in the bag. I'm not going near it. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm having another go at Fairhaven. It's literally on my doorstep, so it'd be daft not to. Um, and we'll see if I can get to St. Anzo Links, because I know it's there again. Yeah, I know that's... Uh, well... If you wanted a run of courses that suit you, crikey. And then 150th is at St. Andrews as well. I know. That'd, like be, that. that'd be pretty special. Especially after even, cool. even less golf. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is like your open qualifying story. Like each year, just do less and less and less and see if you can get more and more and more out of it. <laughs> I feel older and older and older, though, through doing less and less. <laughs> My body seizes up and I just think, oh, God. The thought of going out on a golf course having to turn, it's just uh it gets more difficult the longer I leave it between rounds. Right, that's that's what you just use your wrists a bit more for. A bit more hinge, <laughs> a little bit more flick, bit of a Monty leg drive. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, we're we're getting to that age where we suddenly start telling everyone that accuracy is more important than distance. Uh yeah. when in our hearts we getting that way. We truly know that we're lying. <laughs> ourselves <laughs> you're you're a monster i've seen you hit it on your um instagram you, you're hitting it long at the moment i'm just a very good editor to be honest james uh <laughs> it's a it's a it's, it's amazing what you can do it's amazing what you can do with a good camera angle <laughs> yeah it's it's i always find it quite quite interesting it's, I, I, it's only really dawning on me to be honest that open qualifying like i always have gone into it and certainly around the first few holes just been you know very very like guidey get it in play you know trying a few greens get a few parts and like the guys who are qualifying you know and you know, you've obviously got experience of this it's just the attack like they birdie they birdie the first three holes <laughs> yeah they're just like they're at it straight away like there's no yeah there's no chill there's no like looking back because you do unless you do have you know three amazing rounds in a row you're not going to get near it's no the standard is just getting better and better every single year like certainly yeah with west lang west lang slash year i think there was only i think mainly been three or four pros who actually qualified from there the rest were like plus 24 elite amateurs who were just yeah who looked like pros already yeah it's it's crazy but a top amateur now is well he certainly works more than me on, on his game so they're, they're basically professionals they're ready aren't they yeah it can be done in two days if you if you play well <laughs> yeah that's all you need two days two days of good golf it sounds, yeah. it sounds so simple oh it is so simple <laughs> just hide your clubs away so you, you're excited to see them again and then get them out <laughs> so so far the top tips for open qualifying from James Robinson don't play golf hide your golf clubs, do one demonstration shot per lesson, which is standard hooking to cure a slice, go into open qualifying with low expectations, no hope, and no driver, and you will qualify. You'll have a chance of qualifying. It's not guaranteed. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. We can add some add some small print somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, James, thank you so much for spending the time with us this morning having a chat. I just want to wish you the best of luck at Fairhaven, but not as much luck as me. Well, hopefully we're paired together, so good luck to yourself and uh, thanks for having me. Oh, no, no, I don't want to do it. You'd be too intimidating. No. I... You'd be too, too intimidating in your nice way. You might get drive route and I'll just go. Three iron. <laughs> well... Off that first tee, I'll get drive right, hit it 50 yards right, and I, and I won't be able to look at you, because I know you'll just be staring, like, Pete, yeah. put it away, put it away, get that three iron out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, and I will, uh, I'll see you at Fairhaven. Thanks very much, see you at Fairhaven. Thanks for having me. So, James Robinson there, what an all-round good guy, what a player as well, Chris. Oh, yeah. He's such a lovely guy, isn't he? Yeah, too nice. Yeah. He, he really is how, like... <laughs> how he presents himself on videos and these podcasts. He really is just like that in person. 
You know what I think, Chris? He's the kind of guy who makes me want to be a better person. Oh, that's sweet. Just as that's sweet. A better golfer too? Or? Uh, yeah, better golfer, better <laughs> human. If there's anyone I would ever leave my dog with, it's him. You know, I feel he would be in a good, safe pair of hands. Yeah. When, when, his, when his car's not being hit. Well, yeah, it's true, yeah. Stressful morning, it sounded like. Absolutely devastating, that, isn't it? Imagine yeah. your parked car being hit. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, dear. You're going to be competing against him at Fave, and it sounds like. Uh, yeah, by the sounds of it, I can't say I'm overly happy about that. But um, <laughs> you know what? If if I don't qualify, I would love him to. And if he doesn't qualify, I'm sure he would love me to as well. Nice. Yeah, I'm definitely projecting onto him. Uh, <laughs> every, everything I want him to be right now. Uh, yeah, I think by the looks of it, Fairhaven is going to be a really strong field. So I'll have to get practicing. Birdies will be needed. How, how many times have you played with James Pete? I've never actually played physical golf with him. Right. Only, only in my mind. <laughs> like when I, when I consider what the perfect round of golf would be. Yeah. Basically, this is turning into way too much of a James Robinson loving. So I'm going to uh, stop talking now. <laughs> and I'm going to say thanks for joining us for this first episode around open qualifying. Uh, we'll be back with two more over the coming weeks. But be sure to subscribe and you can expect a little bit more of this. I think from 82 to sort of 2010, I think I entered every single one except one. And I think in the last 10 years, it's been about four or five. So... I think I worked out about 34 times in, in 40 years, which is a lot, isn't it? And this man is playing the man of his life. At this moment, he's in second place. I used to actually practice in the factory. So he used to make a ball out of sellotape. He used to have a five wood. And I'd hit the five wood from one end of the factory to the other and just get told off all the time for doing it. Thank you from myself and Chris. And I will see you all next time. This has been an original audio production from The Open.